welcome everybody. I just uploaded a message while we uh, while we were starting, and I'll just read it out in case you didn't get a chance to look at the message in the chat. So welcome to our first CTS live Bible study, and uh, we have a few more members than uh, than we did personally, which is uh, it's a good perk. So I, I, I'm glad for that. Um, we want to encourage everybody to share their thoughts throughout our time together. Please be as interactive as possible. So share questions and comments. I fear that something that's uh, electronic like this uh, will uh, dissuade everybody from actually communicating and sharing thoughts. So uh, I hope you're not just attending passively. I hope that you are uh, interactive and you're engaged. Um, And the last um, little announcement I wanted to make is if you're not talking, please keep your mic on mute so that uh, we can minimize the noise. All right. So we're going to start with Colossians 3, verse 14. All right. So last week we spoke about the concept of, of God being all in all, which was the, um, the end of verse 11, and, and what that actually means to, to put on Christ, to, to be united with Christ, and, and to have like that internal conversion. Okay, So that pretty much summarized our discussion. So we pick up with verse 14. And we'll read until verse 17, and that'll pretty much carry out the, the very same train of thought. Um, St. Paul's going to shift uh, quite drastically in, in his train of thought whenever we get into verse 18. But um, he's, he's pretty much staying on course. So we're going to pick up with that same train of thought, we're talking about um, being in Christ and being uh, united with Christ and carrying all the virtues that, that come along with Christ. All right. So with that being said, could uh, somebody volunteer for us um, to read verse 14 to 17? But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. All right, very good. Take just a moment to read that again to yourself privately, and uh, then we'll we'll just discuss it together. All right. So. Like I said, it's going to be a little tough to encourage a conversation throughout um, th- this sort of media, but I-, I-, I want to hear as much of your thoughts as possible. So when, when you read those four or five verses, what- what's the first thing that comes to mind? Love. Love, okay, very good. I mean, the, the very first... Um, verse that we read in that section kind of stands out. He says, above all things, put on love, 
which is the bond of perfection. Right? Above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Don't forget, like he just mentioned a few amazing virtues, right? Because he spoke about mercy um, and, and compassion. We spoke about what that really meant and, and kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiveness. I mean, that that's a very deep list of, of virtues. But he says the the bond of perfection above everything else is what is love. Okay? Now, what does it mean to say that it's the bond of perfection? Because that's a very strange way to describe it. It's one thing to say, okay, love is perfect. Right? Or to say that Love is the highest, right? Love is above all. But he says love is the bond of perfection. Okay, what do you think that means? May I speak? It's Regina. Yes, we want everybody to speak. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, I think it means, I look at love as like the glue, the glue that will allow us to walk in perfection. That's what it seems to mean for me. Good, good, very good. That's exactly how St. Paul intends it to be understood. So if you look at any like sort of machine or something that, that functions with different components and parts together, uh, it needs to be tied together. Like if... if um, you take, for example, like I, I, I literally just bought a bicycle a week ago. All right? I uh, ordered it from Walmart <laughs> and uh, it didn't come assembled. It just came in a box, like this huge box just arrived at my front door. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a bicycle, right? Like it's a box and inside of it are all the components of the bicycle. But... So far, it's just a box sitting in my garage. <laughs> so even though the components do serve the, the function of like functioning as a, as a bicycle, but until they are put together, until all the components, all the parts, all the pieces are bonded, then it's totally useless. It's nothing more than a box that's taking up room in my garage. So I just haven't, you know, I haven't gotten around to putting that big box in my car and driving down to Walmart and having them assemble it for me. But until something is bonded together, then that machine is useless. You know, having random segregated pieces or components is worthless. And so what St. Paul wants to say like all of the virtues that he mentioned, unless they're bonded by love, they serve no value, right? So, and he spoke about some beautiful virtues. He's like, if you just look from verse 12 to 13, there's some very important virtues and qualities for us to 
to, to meditate on. But at the end of the day, it's love that binds them together. Right? So, let's look at what St. John Chrysostom says about this. So it's up on your screen as well. He says, Now what Paul wishes to say is that there's no benefit in those things, for all those things fall apart unless they're done with love. This is the love that binds them all together. Whatever good thing it is that you mention, if love be absent, it's nothing. It melts away. The analogy is like a ship. Though its rigging be large, yet if it lacks girding ropes, it's of no service. Or it's similar to a house. If there are no tie beams, of what use is the house? Think of a body, though its bones be large, if it lacks ligaments, the bones cannot support the body. In the same way, whatever good your deeds possess will vanish completely if they lack love. Right? So it's the love that bonds and binds everything together. And this isn't like a strange concept to the, the theme of St. Paul's uh, preaching and his ministry. Um, th- this is like a repetitive, like constant theme and concept that reemerges throughout the teachings of St. Paul and, and the scriptures as a whole. Like this is the heart of the gospel. This is what Christ came to teach us. Okay. So any thoughts or questions or comments there? All right. So, practically speaking, we want to we want to like season everything with love, right? Bind everything with love, um, regardless of what work you're doing. If it's not done with love, if it's not bonded with love, if the virtue that you have does not exist with love, then it's worthless. And again, that's a very, you know, heavy way to put it. Now, yes, I think somebody wanted to say something. No? Okay. I do. Yes, go for it. So, Buna, would you recommend baking it until you make it in terms of, like, for instance... <laughs> I'm dealing with a serious um, violation or infraction and I'm getting to the forgiveness part, but I can't honestly say that I'm loving at this moment. So in the interim, while I'm trying to get to the place of loving Hmm. the person that violated me, do you recommend just faking it until I get there? So... (laughs) so that that's an awesome question um it's a very very important question and i think it's it's a struggle that every single one of us has faced at one point or another and it always challenges us to to figure out like how do we deal with those situations where like yeah may not seem like our love is into it but the the determining factor really comes down to the intentions of the heart. And a lot of times, 
we we do love but there's absolutely no emotion and there's absolutely no feeling in it right if for example um like the the silly example i always mention is like if i want to come home and um clean up the house or like do the dishes or whatever and i know that it's important for marina that i do the dishes but if i have no inclination if i have no passion to actually perform that service then i i i could set it aside and say okay my heart's not in it and you know i'm not going to be doing it with love therefore i should just forget about it altogether or i can say i want to love i want to serve i want to minister in that way even though my feelings my emotions are absent i think if the intention is to love then the intention will suffice to to perform the service and the actions and the deeds a lot of times like the the emotion the feeling is not there at all and you might if anything feel the exact opposite like you don't want to forgive somebody and not only is the feeling and the emotion to forgive absent not only is it absent but you might actually feel the exact opposite <laughs> um and and for you to force it isn't for you to fake it you know if i force myself to serve even though i don't love what i'm doing it doesn't mean i'm going about it in a fake way it means that i am struggling to put my heart in it and i'm struggling to 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 love in a more genuine way you know i think it only becomes fake when i'm doing it hypocritically it only becomes fake if i'm doing it with with any sort of selfish ambitions only to satisfy myself or um if i get anything out of it then it's fake then the action is totally worthless right but if if i want to love and the love is just not there then it's good to actually give it a push and and god will see that effort god will see that work god will see that we intend to love and his grace will build the desire and the passion so that we could do it more wholeheartedly does that make sense yes thank you to add to add anything to that too please feel free okay so if if uh, if you're just tuning in right now um please feel free to share your thoughts and any questions or comments and if you're um if you're not talking try to keep the the mic on mute so we could try to minimize the noise that's coming across the the conversation all right something to ask piggybacking off what regina said how do you how do you work on that like what can you hmm how can you improve in that area i i i have
have a hard time like forgiving I forgive people but then I have a hard time letting it go so like I can't be fake you know like I can't hide things from my face so if somebody's done something to me I'll be friendly and all that but I can't hide that you know that they've hurt me and that I'm still upset about that like how how do you work on that sure again that's that's an awesome question it's it's never gonna be an easy road where we just have like a red carpet laid out in front of us. So I, I, I first want to say, don't be too tough on yourself. If you find a struggle there, that's for starters, because it, it's always going to be a struggle to love. Like whose love is perfect, right? So it's always going to be a struggle to love. It's always going to be a struggle to forgive. And it's always going to be a struggle to have a a full passion and desire to just love without any reservations. But it's really a product of God's grace. It's, it's a product of God's work in our life. And when I come to God and I say, God, this person is just irritating me. I want to love them. I want to forgive them. But deep down inside, like I got nothing left. Like I don't, I, I, I don't feel like it. Like I want to pray. I want to read. I want to serve, but in the back of my mind, I, I really have no desire to do any of those things. So if you enter my heart and give me that fuel, then I'm completely confident that you could, that you could make it happen. I'm completely confident that you can give me the fuel to, to love and to forgive from the bottom of my heart to make it more real to make it more honest but again just because i am struggling for the passion to surface it doesn't mean that i'm being hypocritical i'm being fake it's only fake and hypocritical whenever i'm doing it to satisfy myself you know it's only hypocritical or fake whenever there's any sort of selfish ambition in it and and that's the biggest lie in our society today because the devil feeds everybody this idea that oh if your heart's not in it don't do it you know if you don't feel it don't do it you know if uh, if your emotions aren't tied to it don't do it like the devil's always telling you do what feels good well then if, if i only do what feels good then f- forget loving my enemies altogether because that's <laughs> it's not something that always feels good you know, and, and I don't think I'm being fake or hypocritical if I'm trying to love my enemy and, and the emotion is just absent, right? So I pray and I pray and I struggle and, and the more I depend on God in a very practical way, like this isn't a, a sort of equation that we got to figure out. It's really as simple as God filling my heart with so much love that it's his love at work because my love is lacking. But if his love is in my heart, then I'll, I'll find it a little easier to forgive and to, to do his work. All right. Anybody else want to wanna add, add to that? Any comments or questions? All right, so... That was verse 14, and, and we could spend hours just on that verse. If, if this is like a concept that uh, is 
of, of interest to you, I would highly recommend you leave uh, you read the, the love chapter by St. John Chrysostom. Um, it's like a little short commentary on 1 Corinthians 13. And, and we know that uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is, is the chapter with the most profound text on love. And uh, he has a very good, simple, and deep book. Um, short and sweet. It's only like 50 or 60 pages. So that's the love chapter by St. John Chrysostom if you want to dig into this a little bit more. Um, now, verse 15 um, mentions a few virtues. So let me ask you what virtues you notice right there. So I'll just read it out to you. He says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Peace. Peace. Okay, very good. So there's one. What else? Giving thanks. Giving thanks. Very good. Do you see a, do you see a third one or just those two? Obedience, even though it's not explicitly highlighted. Okay. We have to be thankful. Submitting to his will. Okay, all of those things. So he's instructing us to do these things. I want to just focus on specific virtues that he's instructing us to, to be obedient to or to commit his will towards uh, these three. There's one in between the peace and the gratitude. He says, to which you were called in what? In one body. One body, right? So there's unity, yes. right? So he, he first starts out saying, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Okay, so clearly we know the significance of, of that virtue of peace. Um, but in, in having that peace ruling in our hearts, we, we see that it produces that oneness. Because he says, to which also you were called in one body. Right? He didn't say you were called in many divisions or in separate bodies, but one body. So there's peace, there's oneness or unity, and he says, be thankful, right? So when, when I just meditated a little bit more on this verse, it seems very clear um, that, that these three virtues are like intricately interwined. Somebody who lives in peace has harmony with everybody. Like there's no tension. Right? Whenever we talk about uh, the prayer of reconciliation in the liturgy, that reconciles us with God and with one another, and instead of tensions and fights and conflicts, there's peace. And when there's peace, there's unity, there's harmony. Right? And the one who lives in peace, and the one who lives in that sort of unity, is filled with gratitude. That, that, that sort of person is not a bitter person. That, that sort of person is not grumbling and complaining. Um, and, and I would even like add 
joy. I wouldn't be surprised if that sort of spirit is what what St. Paul is emphasizing right here. But you see, what what fuels our gratitude right now, like with with how crazy the world is, all the chaos, there are divisions, there's no peace. And whenever there's no peace and everybody's divided, who's walking around thanking God? (laughs) Right? But whenever there's harmony, like you see um, a group of friends that are getting along and everybody's peaceful, then they're, they're more grateful for what they have. Because... It prompts them to to thank God for that gift, right? Now, of course, we should be thankful for everything, like in every condition, right? But for for us to have more of a reason to be thankful and to be grateful, um, it, it always comes as like a, as a product of God filling our hearts. Like when the King of Peace fills your heart, then that serves as your fuel to thank Him. Remember we spoke before about Simeon, whenever he finally held Christ, he said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. Finally held Christ, and it's almost like he had a, a sigh of relief, like, finally I can rest in peace. Right? And And... You, you could, if you imagine what his face looked like, it probably had the biggest smile on his face. He's thankful, he's joyful, because Christ fills his heart and he's the King of Peace who gives us a reason to be grateful. All right. So verse 16 let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. All right. So what struck me here when I read this verse is like, how do we teach or admonish one another in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs? Like he's clearly saying to let the word of Christ dwell richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, right? So he's telling us to teach and admonish. And he's not just stopping there. He's saying to teach and to admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So, how is it that we teach and admonish one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? What do you guys think? Through the Eucharist, the liturgy? Oh, good. Perfect. The, the, um, the, the word... Eucharist is 
to be thankful, right? And he, he, we we know that it's in the liturgy that we we sing even whenever we're reading, like the Pauline epistle and the Catholic epistle and the Acts and and the Synaxarium, all those readings, even though they're not chanted nowadays, they were always chanted in the early church. There was nothing in the church that wasn't sung, right? So it's, it's our prayers that are sung, that are chanted. These are the hymns, right? Whether you look at the readings specifically, or if you look at different parts, the priest is praying or the congregation is praying, all of that serves as the hymns and the spiritual songs, right? Now, when you look at the content of what we're singing, do you, do you, do you learn anything from that? <laughs> Like everybody should be nodding yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Like if you if you think about something like Sunday school, when did this notion of Sunday school ever like enter the church? <laughs> good, good. So just this last century. This is so you're telling me that the church didn't even have Sunday schools, nobody was learning anything in church for the first 20 centuries? Yeah. That's exactly what I'm saying. And and does that imply that people didn't know anything until Sunday school came into the picture? <laughs> of course not. Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, I, I would venture to say that some periods in the church in the past, education was at such a high peak that it far surpasses the type of education that we have today. And there were no Sunday schools or like online Bible studies where we could dig into the scriptures like what we're doing right now and to try to learn uh, what 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 the church is teaching us, but people learned through one simple and effective way, which was what. Hmm. What am I getting at here? Singing hymns. Singing hymns. Perfect. <laughs> they went to church. They heard the hymns. They heard the scriptures chanted and this music is what taught them music was educational right music was educational right now whenever we want to teach kids um, their ABCs we don't say alright so listen the ABCs go like this A B C D E F no we sing it to them right we say A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? And that eventually sticks in the mind of the child. And, and this, is, this is, un, it's not a novel idea. 
like the church was employing that system and that tool from the beginning, from from the very first century. And uh, I think I mentioned to you guys this before, that the reason some heresies really took a, a grip in the church, like the Arian heresy by Arius, was because he was very poetic and he chanted his heresies in, in poems. And because, because of that rhyme, because of how um, intriguing it was, it, it stuck on people's minds. And, and that was a very dangerous heresy in the church. right? Because music was always a powerful tool to teach us. So what St. Paul is saying here, teach, admonish one another through this powerful tool. Go to church and sing. <laughs> That's basically what he's saying. At the end of the day, what verse 16 is telling us is this. Go to church, listen to the songs, participate in the songs, and you'll learn everything. It's that simple. And trust me, back then, everybody did know everything. People just attended church services and they learned theology. People attended church services and they understood what the sacraments were all about. And they heard the chants, they participated, and they were engaged. So that's a method that nowadays we, we, we got to elevate and put it on the pedestal that it deserves to have. Okay, so any comments or questions there? All right, so the next verse, in verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through Him. All right, so there's a lot there. Right? Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay, so what does that first part mean? What does it mean to say or do everything that you say or do in the name of the Lord? Like you got to say, in Christ Jesus, as your uh, disclosure before you say whatever you're going to say... <laughs> Or we're going we're gonna to sit down to eat, you say, in Christ Jesus our Lord, and then we eat. Or we're going to drive, we say the Lord's name. What, what does it really mean? To do it according, anything according to His will. Very good. According to His will. So, where do you get that from? Where do you get the notion that the, the, what St. Paul is saying here is the implication that anything is that you're going to be doing is to be done according to His will. Choosing the right way. Okay. Choosing the right way. Doing everything with love, like the intention of love behind it. Very good. Very, very, very good. So all of, so all of those are, are important and and they do 
resemble what's done in the name of the Lord. I want to just kind of dig into the the implication that a name has. I know you guys um, received the, the email I sent like a week ago from, from the church. And it was intended to be like a spiritual message to talk about the significance of one's name and also to encourage everybody to register for the database, right? We need to get your name on file for uh, the ministry and the pastoral care, right? But the first like 75% of the message was just stressing the significance of a person's name. A person's name is like a person's identity. It's the representation of who someone is, right? So when, when, when I do something by your name, according to you, then I do that thing according to what you represent. I, I do that thing according to your, your morals, your standards, according to everything that matters to you. So what I'm doing fits your ideology. It fits, it's according to your terms, right? And that's why we say it's done according to his will because his name is his identity and his way, right? Now, I want to just reference a part where I see this concept really, really, really coming to life. And I know that we've all read this passage in the past without ever, like, you know, noticing that that it it implies what, what this topic is, but... In Genesis 18, towards the end of that chapter, we see that Abraham is in this dialogue with God. Right? He's like negotiating with God. God tells him, should I hide these things from Abraham? Should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Right? Should I hide from Abraham my servant? What I'm about to do. So he's, he starts to talk to him about how he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And then we find this debate or this negotiation. I'm not going to get into the whole debate. But I just want to, to mention the initial response that Abraham says to God as soon as he hears what God is going to do. Okay? So I'm going to start reading from... Chapter 18, verse 24. And, and I'm, I'm going to emphasize verse 25. Like verse 25 will be our emphasis right there, but I'll start from verse 24 for us to have a little better context. All right, so... Um, <clears throat> this is like... At the beginning of the debate, he says, would you destroy the righteous with the ungodly? He says, suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. 
right? That's what Abraham is telling God. Suppose there was 50 righteous in the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare and not spare it for the 50 righteous in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, that the righteous should be as the wicked, far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And then we know how the, the, the debate or this negotiation progresses. And he says, you know, fine, uh, uh, I, I won't destroy Sodom anymore if I just find 50 people. Now, what's Abraham really concerned about here? God's character. Now, initially we read the story and we say, Abraham is full of love and compassion. He doesn't want to see a city destroyed. He doesn't want to see Sodom and Gomorrah just burnt to ashes. And that's absolutely true. But there's something that takes even precedence to that. Deep down in his heart, he was concerned more about God's name than this city meeting its demise. Because he knew that God is a merciful, loving God. And if God decides to, to act in one way or another, he'll respect that, right? He, he's not going to question what God is doing. He, he's not going to say, Oh, I'm more merciful than you and I'm more loving than you. I wouldn't even destroy Sodom. What are you thinking? <laughs> That's not what he's saying. Because he knows how merciful, how loving God is. But what he's really concerned about is, God, people are going to see this and they're going to say something different about you. People are going to see this and they're going to say, You're not fair. People are going to see this and say, you're not a just God. And for Abraham, that was preposterous. It was like outrageous for, for him to, to think about like this thought that other people would misunderstand the loving God that he knows. Because what he really cared about is God's name. I don't want to see your name blasphemed. People are going to say terrible things about you. They're going to say you're wicked. You're going to, they're going to say you're an evil God. And I know that's not who you are. I want you to be represented accurately. I want you to be represented the right way. And that's why I just hope you spare it even for a few good people. That way people don't say the wrong thing about you. And the guy's like, okay, good point. <laughs> good point. I'll spare him. Even if I, and then they keep going down from like 50 to 40, and you know, it keeps going farther and farther. Anyways, here's the million dollar question for us now How much are we concerned with God's representation? I mean, all of us carry the name around as Christians. Not only that, but like Orthodox Christians, we're, we say we are like the pick of the litter, right? We're Orthodox Christians. 
We carry that name around. For me, I don't just carry a name, I carry an image. Like, I stand out like a sore thumb. Okay? Now, is what I say representative of God? Is what I do representative of God? Because St. Paul is urging us here to think about that. He says, let whatever you say, whatever you do, be done in His name. Because you're representing Him. You're representing Him in what you say, in what you do, in the way you talk. And in, in the times you're silent, in the times that you speak up, you're representing His name. And if you care about that image that you carry, then you'll preserve it. You'll preserve it no matter what it costs. We, we got to think about the way that, that we carry ourselves in, in the most challenging time these few days. And God willing, this this turmoil doesn't last more than a few days but i'm 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 guessing it's going to last for months or or even more we're we're in a very difficult time and this is the time where our love is tested where people's hearts grow cold everyone is just looking out for themselves but when when we as christians are representing god and we're looking out for ourselves, we tell people Christianity is selfish. So C.S. Lewis says, the most harmful thing to Christianity isn't like atheism or wicked people. It's bad Christians. It's the hypocrisy that we find in Christianity. What I'm saying, what I'm posting, what I'm wearing, what I'm communicating to people, the way I drive, if I'm just aggressive and, and I'm not kind on the streets, like we all think that those are nominal things, but they're huge. They're huge. So, I hope we, we really take this concept to heart. To, to be mindful of the, the representation that, that we're honored to have. Like honestly, we are honored to, to have the opportunity to, to live according to His name, to, to represent such a loving God. We don't deserve that and we always fall short. We always fall short, but His grace picks us up. We want to continue working, especially in these times, to, to love with our whole heart, to forgive with our whole heart, to communicate kindly, and, and to, to be generous. Like everybody now is just, like everybody's hoarding, hoarding and hoarding and hoarding. This guy we saw on the news that just bought like 17,000 bottles of hand sanitizers and tried to sell them for like hundreds of dollars to capitalize on people's misfortunes. Like, that's far from Christianity, right? And if we take this 
opportunity as a grace from God to say like, wow, I get to represent you like the God of love, then yeah, I'm, I'm going to live according to that love. I'm going to live according to, to that very same purpose. All right, so I, uh, I want to be mindful of your time. We have just a couple of minutes left, so maybe I'll just give you an opportunity to ask questions or share comments, um, anything that's on your mind that, that you guys want to share, feel free uh, to speak up. We still have a, a few more minutes before we close. I'll share. It's Regina. Um, good, good. I just wanted to thank you for reminding me. I forget who um, quoted this, but they said that there would be no pagans if we were true Christians. So it reminds me that yes. I need to make sure that I always represent Christ well, no matter what I'm going through or what has happened. And that love is the most excellent way and that it is far more important than all of the other virtues and it allows them to coalesce. Amen. <laughs> well, thank you. Amen. Amen to that. Any other comments, questions? Or you guys want to Go back to your self quarantine. <laughs> uh, before we uh, we wrap up in prayer, uh, I, I just want to encourage everyone to use this time wisely. Um, this time can be uh, an opportunity to to read more, to pray more, to to, to really. Participate in, in, in the time that, that Christ spent on, on um, in those 40 days fasting and praying. Um, some of you are, are still going to work, but the vast majority of people are not. They're staying home. And we could use that time for, for growth. We could use that time as like God telling us, okay, I'm going to help you out a little bit with Lent because you haven't... <laughs> You haven't been able to get away from the noise. So here, I'm going to send a plague to keep you at home. <laughs> so uh, I, I take it as a bit of encouragement from God and try to be safe and as healthy as possible to keep uh, all the safety precautions, to keep a distance and to just pray. And, and, and I know that God will use this time to, to glorify Him. If, if just a spark of light could shine in the midst of this darkness, then... Uh, I, I know God can do wonderful things. So let's really, really pray and use this time for, for more uh, fasting, more prayers, and for His name to be glorified. And glory be to God forever.